Hi, all. Hi. <laughs> okay. So, in the brief email I was sent about what to share with you all today, uh, it said, read the Sermon on the Mount, note whatever stands out to you, and share that. Which sounded very sensible. So, I went and I read, um, I read Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. One second. They always tell me how to do this and every time I leave it. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, so five, six, and seven. Um, and it was very familiar. I've read it several times in the past. And I got nothing. Nothing stood out to me this time. And I went, oh, it's okay. You know, it's just too familiar. I glazed over. We'll try again. So I went back and I read it again. And nothing stood out. <laughs> so I went back and I read it again, or at least I tried. I think that's the point. I fell asleep. And so I was a little bit um, like, oh no, what am I going to do? It's like a month away. And so I went, oh, you know what I should do? I should pray. Obviously, that was the first place. I should have been there first. So I said, God, what do you want to tell us that Sunday? What do you want Connect Church to know from this sermon? And... Um, if I'm honest, I was a little annoyed because I felt that God's answer was the same thing he's been telling me the last several years, which is do what's right, big and small, and do it now. So, it's a very boring message. That was my feeling, honestly. Um, but I went back then to the Sermon on the Mount with my new message. And I read it again. And this time, like, everything stood out. Uh, like, um, like chapter 5, verses 21 to 22. You have heard that it was said to your ancestors, never murder. Whoever murders will answer for it in court. But I guarantee that whoever is angry with another believer, will answer for that in court. I say, like, wow, this is Jesus saying, yeah, don't do the bad thing, but set a higher standard for yourself. Be in charge of your anger. Be in charge of yourself. And again, in 27 and 28, you have heard that it was said, never commit adultery, but I can guarantee that whoever looks with lust at a woman has already committed adultery in his heart. And that's, that's an, setting an internal standard of what is good and what is right to do. That's taking charge of your own thoughts and doing what is right there where no one can see. In 33 and 34, you have heard that it was said to your ancestors, never break your oath, but give to the Lord what you swore in an oath to him. But I tell you, don't swear an oath at all. He goes on to say, let your yes be yes and your no be no. This is Jesus saying, be so honest in your everyday speech. Be so honest that you don't need to give promises. Promises are made by people, like a promise is made where there's no trust. You're like, yes, I promise to take you swimming this week. And your kid does not believe you because <laughs> you did not take them last time. <laughs> That is, be honest. 
Um, in chapter 6, verse 2, so when you give to the poor, don't announce it with fanfare like the hypocrites do. This, note that when, when you give to the poor. There's no, no expecting you're not giving to the poor. But when you do, remember, it is not about you. Yes, of course you want people to see that you do good things. But God sees, let that be enough. Do what's good. Oh, how about in chapter 7, verses 1 and 2? Stop judging others so you won't be judged. Otherwise, oh, one second, don't condemn others and God won't condemn you. God will be as hard on you as you are on others. He will treat you exactly as you treat them. Yeah. This one is interesting. The, um, it's, because what do you really get out of judging others? What you get out of it is that you make yourself feel good. You make yourself feel big at somebody else's expense. This is literally bullying. Bullying is making someone else feel small so that you feel big. And judging someone is doing that inside your head. And that's not okay behavior, and it comes out when you're judging others. People can tell. So I finished reading the Sermon on the Mount, and I was like, wow, it is all about doing what's right here and now. And I thought, because I've always seen the Sermon on the Mount as just a collection of disjointed stories, just things that Jesus had said here, there, and everywhere that Matthew had collated into one space just to, you know, make his narrative nice and smooth so he didn't have to say, Jesus went here, and he said this, and Jesus went there, and he said that. But actually, when I looked it up, Matthew wrote this gospel very, very well. And he put this sermon together. He put all these stories together very carefully so that they build on one another and they make a very good point. And it said that Jesus came to fulfill the law. And that is to write the law on our hearts that we will do what God wants in the big, in the small, and we will do it now. So, now I'm going to tell you a story. In the movie The Karate Kid, the newest one with like Jackie Chan and Jaden Smith, um, this kid, Dre, moves from America to China with his mom because she's got this job. And he goes through horrible culture shock and awful bullying. To combat this Dre and his mom decide to enlist the help of their neighbor, Mr. Han, to teach Dre Kung Fu. And Dre is actually really excited for his first lesson. He shows up at Mr. Han's house, he whips his jacket off and throws it on the ground, and he's like, I'm ready, Mr. Han, let's do this. And he's bouncing around, and Mr. Han's just like looking behind him, and he goes, pick up your jacket. So Dre's like, oh, yeah, sorry about that, okay. He picks up his jacket. Mr. Han says, hang it up here. And Trey hangs it up. He's ready. And Mr. Han says, now, take it down. Trey's looking at him. Okay. He takes it down. You know, you listen to your master. It's fine. And he says, now throw it on the ground. So Trey throws it on the ground. Now pick it up. Up again. Put it on. He puts it on. It's 
arms going everywhere. And you take it off, hang it up. And Mr. Han makes him do it again. Take it off, drop it on the ground, pick it up, put it on, take it off, hang it up. And Dre's like frustration is mounting. He's, he's like, what, what is this? This is a Kung Fu lesson, right, Mr. Han? We're here to learn Kung Fu. And Mr. Han, like, he's relentless. He says, nope, take it down, throw it on the floor, put it on. <laughs> and just over and over until Dre finally admits defeat. This is it. This is the lesson. And he spends the next two, three hours putting on his jacket, taking it off, hanging it up, taking it down, throwing it on the ground, picking it up. And it is relentless. So... Dre's going home, he's crestfallen. This was a mediocre thing at best. But when he slept and he's eating breakfast and he's, it's the next day, he's feeling good about it again. He's like, you know, perhaps this is just, this is a, a lesson in respect, you know, these Kung Fu masters. They really like you to be, uh, to, sh to be polite, to be respectful, to show um, willingness and, and respect, obviously, yeah. It's got to be it. It's got to be respect. So he shows up the next day at Mr. Han's house, and he takes off his jacket very pointedly and very pointedly hangs it up. And he's like, okay, Mr. Han, I'm ready. And Mr. Han looks up, and he says, all right, now take it down. Throw it on the ground. Pick it up. And Dre is oh, frustrated. This is the lesson again today. And as he goes, he discovers this is the lesson every day. Every day. It gets on three, four days. He's still just doing, picking his coat up, putting it on, taking it off. And he, he comes to the conclusion that actually he's in a foreign country. He has no friends. He has nothing better to do. So he keeps showing up, keeps hoping that maybe eventually they will get on with actual Kung Fu. So, we're gonna pause our story, hang it up, and uh, take a look at some interesting things. That, yeah, that's it, okay. So I've started, um, I, I've started a job, some of you know, where I clean at a school locally, and I show up and I do three hours every morning, most days a week, like six out of seven days a week. And I clean eight classrooms. I clean, I wipe their tables, I hoover their carpets, and I empty their bins. That's my job, every day. And it can be very, it can feel a little thankless and a little bit like, why am I wiping this spotless table that I wiped yesterday? <laughs> And why am I hoovering this carpet? No one has walked here. I'm sure it's clean, it's fine. Um, and, and you empty the same bin every day and it's always got the same two things in it, you know, it's a tea bag and a stir stick. <laughs> Except the end of the week when it's the box that held the tea bags. <laughs> That's very exciting. So thrilling. So, but after, but after a couple of weeks of doing this, I, I realized that I was still cleaning those eight classrooms, coming to the end of the day with a very full bin bag, two filthy rags, 
And at the end of the week, I still had to empty the Hoover. That's a lot of filth in a very spotless place. And I found that as I was doing that, of course, thinking that all these very spotless places are looking so clean and they're making that much dirt, what about that bookshelf that no one's touched for like a month? So you'd wipe it down and yeah, sure enough, your cloth is black in one go. And you just find yourself just cleaning little things as you're going, little extra things. Um, because you're aware how much dirt builds up where it doesn't look like it is. And that's interesting that I, I would start just cleaning because I've been cleaning. Because that's, that's a normal part of how we're built. Our brains and our bodies are designed to recognize patterns. They are designed to try and help us by setting as many things as they can into autopilot so that we can just get on with life, so we can think about the big things as they come. Any new things, we can think about that because everything else is on autopilot and we're running. It's smooth and it's efficient. Um, but what's, what we also have is there's a second thing our brains have deep down built in, and that is the deep core belief that we are good people. I am a good person. Right deep down, I am good. And that's important. It's important that we believe we're good so that we can function in society, so that we can talk to other people, so that we are confident in ourselves. And so, when these two things work together, it's supposed to be a very good thing, right? I'm good, I do good things, you set that pattern and you're doing it. But what happens when you run into something that might be a little bit dodgy, that you sort of do download quietly, it's fine. You know, like if I started to download pirated movies, you know, because I've got a lot of kids, we need to entertain ourselves. And that new movie is like 13 pounds when you buy it off the shelf, brand new. But a pirated movie, you know, it's here, it's fine, it's free. Um, or if I'm at the Tesco's self-checkout and I just chuck a few things in my bag without scanning them, it's fine, right? Or I start fiddling my taxes maybe a little bit, dust off my Canadian bank card and go, well, I can move things country to country and uh, it works just fine. You know, no one knows. Who am I really hurting? Because your brain, your brain meets this conundrum, okay? It's got to solve this problem. There's a problem here. It's, I am a good person, plus I've done this thing or I want to do this thing, or I do this thing, equals X. And your brain has to solve for X. So your brain goes, okay, wait a second. Step one, this is a bad thing. But it goes back and goes, no, 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 I'm a good person. Good people don't do bad things. That doesn't work. So, step two, this thing is bad. No, wait, I said that first, that was first. No, this thing is good. And your brain goes back and it goes, objectively, this thing is not good. I can't just say that's good. That's not good. So your brain goes back. It goes, all right, we have option C. And that is, it is justifiable. It is justifiable that I do this. You know, and you, it says, okay, so I pirate movies. That's, that's not a problem. Who does that hurt? You know, like Hollywood. They're full of creeps and people who are like, you know, they have too much money anyway. They're not going to miss my 13 pounds. It's going to be fine. 
you don't really hurt anybody. It is totally justifiable in my case. I have kids to keep happy. I've got things to do. It's fine, right? It doesn't hurt. Or a second one, like the, the Tesco's thing, Mr. Tesco's, like, he's got too much money. He's not going to miss three pounds 50. It's fine. Or, or yeah, fiddling my taxes, like, oh, my goodness, you want to talk about people who've got too much money and are a bunch of creeps. Like the government, You're like, really? Yeah. It's, it seems fine, and honestly, I'm the citizen, right? I'm the one they want to help. If I have more of my own money, that's fine. You know, the government's stealing my money. That's, a, that's, a, that's ridiculous. So, your brain has justified it. You have justified it. It's fine. You're still a good person. You do this thing kind of, it's fine. Um, and of course, our brain sets a pattern. It stores that information away. So the next time that option comes up, your brain goes, oh, I remember what we did. And it pulls it up, it's like last time. The answer was C, I remember. And um, it starts to, so, so it's easier. It looks easier to do this time. You're like, yeah, that was, that was fine. Nothing happened, I didn't hurt anybody. We're okay, so you just do it again. And the third time, easier again, because your brain went, oh, see, see, we found a pattern, we found one, we found one, That's, this is what we do now, and it's good. So third time, fourth time, you start doing it, and it's just become something you don't even question anymore. And the trouble with that is actually you set a trajectory, don't you? Because if, if that is justifiable, that justification works for a lot more things. You see, it was the same justification for all three options, wasn't it? And that justification that, oh, they're stealing my money, they're rich already, they're whatever. It becomes the, the justification for anything, really. It can blanket cover a lot of things. So, so you become more willing to try other, more dodgy things that you wouldn't have started at the beginning. Would have been like, whoa, no, no, that's obviously bad, obviously wrong. But now, you, you know, they're a lot closer. You just do them, and it's fine. Until eventually one day, hopefully, somebody calls you out. And the struggle with having someone call you out is that it's it touches on something much deeper than saying, hey, you've done this wrong thing. Maybe you shouldn't do that. Because what your brain hears is, you are a bad person. And you will defend that you are a good person to the end. Because you have to. You need to be able to function. You need to be able to look at yourself in the, in the mirror in the morning. And I think this is what Jesus was talking about when we get to the end of the Sermon on the Mount and he tells that parable of the wise and the foolish builders. This establishing a behavior. Jesus says in the story, um, sorry, I've got it, it's here. He says, the person who listens to what I have said and does it is like someone with wisdom who, before anything, digs down, lays the foundation on a solid rock, and then builds his house. Because 
while it's slower, while it's hard, he's done it. And then when the storms do come, his house, his life, stay standing. But, Jesus goes on to say, the person who hears what I've said, and maybe he likes it, you know, maybe he tells all his mates, maybe he posts it on Facebook, maybe he makes a little plaque of it and hangs it up on his wall, but doesn't do it, is like someone who built his house without bothering to lay a foundation, without bothering to dig down. And then when those storms come, his house, his life, are absolutely wiped away. I think C.S. Lewis was talking about this storm moment in his book, The Screwtape Letters, when he wrote this quote. And you have to remember, Screwtape Letters is written sort of backwards. It's written as a series of letters between one demon to another demon. So it's demons talking, you have to remember that. It's important. All right, so our cause the demon's cause, is never more in danger than when a human no longer desiring but still intending to do our enemies God's will looks around upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished, asks why he's been forsaken, and still obeys. This is the thought that in those dark moments when we believe, when we can't find God, when he's not answering, when he's not available to us, when everything is hard and broken and upsetting, and we still keep doing what we know is right, what we know Jesus told us to do. Those, those are the moments where we're really seeing our house stay standing. And it's because we established a behavior before the fact. We established what we do in every situation before the fact. And God loves that. It's like when I see my kids doing what's right without me telling them. It's wonderful. And it's been proven. We see it People have tracked this, actually. I read articles on what to do if you don't like someone. Like, they say the thing to do, if you don't like someone in your life or in your workplace or wherever, um, the thing to try and do is to do something kind for that person. Treat that person kindly. And you teach your brain and your body that this is someone we like. This is someone that we are good to. And slowly it builds that, that kindness down till it's true, which sounds backwards, but it works. Um, <laughs> I watched a TED talk from someone who did an experiment. He spent one year where he was going to give money to absolutely everyone who asked him for some. He's cautious, you know, he chose how much or how little, but always, he always gave money when he was asked. And he found that at the end of the year, the biggest change was in himself. He liked himself more. He believed he was a generous person, that he was good. And after the year's experiment was over, he, was, he kept up some of those generous habits well into the rest of his life. 
um, there is a YouTube channel called Charisma on Command where they teach people how to um, socialize, how to talk to people, how to make small talk and chit chat in workplaces and in situations where you, you have to meet strangers and things. And um, the guy on there always advocates, be honest. Always be honest. Be honest in the big things. Be honest in the small things. Be honest to yourself. Be honest all the time. Because when you are honest all the time, you know you are honest. And when you talk to people, it shows you are more open, you are more confident, and you are more comfortable with yourself because you know you're an honest person. You can't get caught in a lie if you don't have any lies. And it works in my cleaning. When I go and I clean every morning for three hours and I, I start cleaning better at the, at the school, when I come home, I'm already in that habit. And I'm finding, after a month now, my house is cleaner. <laughs> it sounds silly, but, you know, I was like, wow, if, if it's really, you know, dirty in a spotless-looking place, my house is filthy. <laughs> so I've started, like, hoovering every day, which I should have been doing, but I wasn't, because... I wasn't. And um, my house is no tidier, honestly. It's, it's still, everything is everywhere, but it's cleaner. It's a lot less dusty. Um, and my bins are almost always, you know, I can put things in them again. It's great. Mm. Uh, so we've come back to our story. So it's been like two months of putting his goat on and off, and on and off, and hanging it up, and dropping it, and picking it up, and putting it on, and taking it off. And Dre is fed up. And he says, Mr. Han, do you even know Kung Fu? Is that why we're doing this? You don't know how to teach me Kung Fu. You don't know Kung Fu. Because this is not Kung Fu. And Mr. Han finally faces off with him, squares out, and he says, okay, put on your jacket. And Dre's like, he goes to put it on, and Mr. Han grabs it and throws it behind, and he says, no, 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 put on your jacket. And Dre's like, it's kind of lost in translation here, my jacket's over there now. So he um, mimics putting on his jacket, and as he does, as he reaches this point, Mr. Han grabs him by the arm, and he says, look at this. This is strong. Now take off your jacket. So Trey mimics taking it off, and Mr. Han grabs him by the arm. This is strong. This is strong. These are strong. He says, all right, put on your jacket. And this time, as Trey goes to lift his arms, Mr. Han attacks. But Dre's arm is already in the way to block, and it is already strong from two months of doing this. <laughs> and he blocks Mr. Han easily. Take off your jacket. So he goes and he blocks another attack. Mr. Han says, pick up your coat. And he bends down to pick it up and he dodges a roundhouse kick. So now Mr. Han's getting faster. Put on your jacket. Take off your jacket. Pick it up. And, and Dre is finding that he's managing to block and to dodge all of Mr. Han's very quick attacks until finally he managed to knock Mr. Han slightly off balance. Mr. Han says, now, hang it up. And he pushes 
and he strikes Mr. Han right in the chest. And Mr. Han says, good, harder, stronger, with more attitude. And so Dre keeps doing it, back, 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 pushing Mr. Han back across the courtyard. And then Mr. Han looks at Dre and he says, Kung Fu is in how you put your jacket on. It is in how you take your jacket off. Kung Fu is in how you treat people. Kung Fu is in everything. Now, we call it Kung Fu in English. In Chinese, it's a Kung Fu. And it literally means merit master. The master of something that is meritous. Traditionally in Chinese, they understand it as any skill that requires patience, diligence, and long practice for like years of your life. A kung fu is acquired from years of practice. And you can be, you can have a kung fu in anything. So why not kung fu in doing what is good, in doing what is right? And, you know, the interesting thing, the best scene in that film, for me, was not the part where Dre went and he, he, he made the championship match and he used everything he'd been learning and he, he defeated the bullies. Not, none of those scenes. What really made this movie for me was actually the scene after that first kung fu lesson when he's crestfallen. He goes home and he takes off his jacket and he hangs it up. And his mom is behind him and she's watching this. He has never hung up his jacket in his life. And she is shocked. And that's the thing. Do good when it's big. Do good when it's small. Do good now. Now, I don't want to to dishearten people because this sounds like a bit of a tall order. Like even as Jesus says in chapter 548, this is why you must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect perfect. We do not feel perfect. I don't think there's a single person here who's going to say, yeah, that's me, I'm perfect. And it feels like a tall order. Do what's good all the time. Do what's good inside your head. Do what's good when you're angry. Do what's good always. But if you look, like Jesus did say this, but if you look at how Jesus lived and how he talked and who he talked to and who he was happy to be with and who he wasn't happy to be with, there is one core thing you have to know. And that is that Jesus was not worried about you actually being perfect all the time, here and now, always. What Jesus was interested in was you working on that trajectory. It was people who felt they were perfect but were actually doing really unkind things had a trajectory away from God but people who were going no I'm not I'm not as good as I want to be and just moving moving their aim more towards what God wanted to see them doing Jesus was proud of them and so that's what I think it is when to see us do What's right? Paul calls it this, my friends, we can't allow ourselves to get tired of doing what is right. So do it.
do right, big, no matter how small, and do it now.